Peter Kropkin once said, Competition is the law of the jungle, but cooperation is the law of civilization. Keep this in mind, as we discuss today, China's BRI next door to the United States. And what does it mean for the future of South America? My name is Dr. David Wadalu. And my name is Dr. Ross Stewart. And you are watching Geopolitics in Conflict. We'd like to thank you for watching and joining us today. We'd like to thank you for your subscription to our channel and we'd like to invite you to look at our website. We have some remarkably interesting things there, things that you can't get on YouTube. Exactly. We have the membership on our website geopoliticsinconflict.com. That's where we do the live presentations. We also do live Q&A. And we discuss the issues that we can discuss here on YouTube. And you all know why that is. So without beating the dead horse here, yeah. so you all know the reason. So, But also, we truly, truly want you guys to support us with the subscription. So please subscribe if you have not done so. So, And to all of you, we want to say thank you. And we truly, truly appreciate you. Back to our topic, Ross. One of our neighbors to the south mm -hmm. is continuing to acquire a Chinese cuisine. Oh, the Belt and Road Initiative from China into Cuba is taking place as we speak. And it's been going on for some time. Yeah, well, indeed. Now it's moving uh, sort of rapidly into some key sectors into the Cuban economy. I mean, we all know about the embargoes that the United States has imposed on Cuba. We all know the impact of the embargo. Usually regimes end up not being impacted is the people. Yeah. Is the people that end up uh, being impacted. And we're going to talk about this later on. But first, we want to first uh, just provide our viewers with a framework as to what this is all about, what this BRI we're talking about here, you know. Well, usually in BRI that China has been involved in some other parts of the world that involved, like, for example, high high rail speed trains uh, invo involved some big major mega projects dams uh, uh green energy uh, exactly this goes on yeah. and on things that really make a difference to the economy of a country mm -hmm. and this one here in cuba is gonna it's focusing on two main uh, uh, sectors of the economy one of them is telecommunications and the other one is energy and we're going to talk about each one of them just to provide you an insight into what does it mean and how that's going to impact the Cuban economy in light of the ongoing embargo. And also what does it mean for the future geopolitical relations within Latin America, Central Latin oh. America. So. This, is a, this is a really hot topic. It is indeed. That's why we thought about it as we discussed. We said, you know, what will this be of interest to our viewers? And we all came to an agreement. Yes, it will be, you know, uh, not just because China is involved in it, but it's what it means moving forward. So, you know, the backdrop of this is something called the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> and that was that was almost Armageddon. Exactly. And that was Russia, the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. had uh, nuclear missiles in Cuba. And President Kennedy mm -hmm. uh, played chicken with them, and supposedly those missiles were, were removed. As it turned out later, they probably were not, but that, that was later when the Soviet Union fell that they actually left. Left, yeah. <clears throat> so that's the backdrop of all this. Yeah. And a horrific animosity uh, for almost six decades. Of course, Obama made some inroads, but that's not where we are today. Yeah, because things have changed for that. And we will tackle that one. So, well, let's talk about the telecommunications. Why is that important, especially for a country like Cuba? Yeah. You know? Of course, uh, we all know about how the, the size of Cuba. Cuba is a small island of about approximately 10 million, 10 something million like or so. that. Yeah. So, but the challenges they have when it comes down to telecommunications, uh, based on my knowledge that, you know, I've, and I've been around that area, I've never been in Cuba, but I've been close by, mm -hmm. uh, that, that they, they're having a hard time, for example, logging in and all. I mean, you still can log in and all that, but it's just not as you might expect it in country that has an infrastructure for that. Well, China's telecommunication projects, that's gonna sort of uh, re revolutionize or develop the entire infrastructure for that. And that including TV and cell phones. cell phones. So those are very, very important. And why is that? It's because, and we're gonna provide some stats here to share with our viewers, just for them to, to know. And we'll provide the, we're gonna provide the link for you guys to know where we get these stats from. Well, approximately, so for the, the, the global digital broadcast and the TV in general, more than three-fourths of about, well, approximately about 76.2% mm -hmm. of the Cuban population uh, uh, in standard definition uh, using the standard definition TV, right. you know, and about 45% of that using high definition. So what China is going to be doing is they're going to build the infrastructure for replacing the entire telecommunication system, especially for the mobile, using the upgrade systems that China has, which means those t digital TVs and the network for the, the, the phone and all that will be from its scratch from its scratch, from the beginning, yeah. it will be a Chinese-based. So that's one of and the... And as we know, what that means is the Cuba will have a world-class operation going. The, yeah. The cutting edge of technology, because the Chinese will bring it to them. Yeah, and exactly, because I did watch one interview with the local uh, family from Cuba. Mm -hmm. and, and the daughter, she's taking some courses in the university and having a hard time to upload or download the, the course oh, online yeah. because the connectivity is not as of updated as of in other places of the world. So what China is doing with this infrastructure as part of the BRI, you know, it's going to revamp the entire telecommunication system in Cuba, which means Cubans now, because you see in the establishment of cyber cafes, yeah. you know, that means the, the, the logging in into internet and so forth is going to be much more easier for Cuban, so to be aware of what's going on around the world. One of the implications of that is that the culture will mature. More information, more connectivity, more connection to the rest of the world. 
Exactly. As opposed to being a backwater country. Uh-uh. Not, not anymore, yeah. And this is why I found it very interesting that one of the focus on the, in, the, uh, in the economic sector of, the Cuban, uh, of Cuba is telecommunication. Because usually when you have a good telecommunication system, you know, networking is very, very mm -hmm. important. So the other sector of the uh, economy that uh, China is going to assist Cuba with, it has to do with energy. And green energy on top of it. Exactly. You're absolutely correct, Ross. And this green energy, it will be of great importance to Cuban economy. Well, basically, with this green energy, as you suggested, they're gonna be—we're talking about solar panels, and and wind, and both, wind. Yeah, both of the Chinese are helping them with both. Wow! And they're gonna be building like solar uh, solar park, is that solar yeah. panel parks solar parks. Yeah, you know? and the reason why they're doing that, uh, Russ, is because uh, here is what I see very very clever and interesting aspects of it, is because the production of those uh, components for the digital TV and all the telecommunications will have to be done in the factories inside Cuba. Again, helping the, helping the economy and helping the people of Cuba. Cuba, exactly. And the solar panel's role is providing energy for those factories where those components will be produced. So, so because as we, you may know or you may not, uh, uh, Cuba usually use about over 90% or, or derive its energy from fossil fuel. And the goal is, by the turn of the decade, for 24% of that to be from these alternative green sources. Yeah, which is not bad. Not bad. Yeah, if you consider, we only are talking about eight years from now. Right. Nine, eight years, and, and that's, that's going to be... So that's going to be very, very uh, interesting into how we're going to be reading about, because most of us Americans cannot travel to Cuba, uh, sometimes I don't know what the, the, the regulations are and all that, uh, but we're going to be reading about the changes within the structure, uh, both on the energy sector and telecommunication in Cuba. That's going to at least assist people in, in sort of connecting with the rest of the world and understand what's going on. Well, Cuba is, is located in such a place that there might be a lot of petroleum resources nearby. And there are some in Central America, as a matter of fact. So, but, uh, but the big question, uh, beside the economy, will be now, BRI is next door to the U.S. You know, as you may know, Cuba is only about 90 miles from southern tip of Florida. So, you know, if BRI is getting this close to the U.S., what does it mean? Well, we have 34 other countries close by. Mm -hmm in Central and South America, mm -hmm. who somehow Cuba has managed to establish excellent relationships with. Yeah. And so those countries are watching carefully as to what's going on and who's helping Cuba and who isn't. Yeah. And that in itself, uh, I, I bet you this, that in itself, China has thought about that <laughs> ahead of time because it's a win-win, <clears throat> a win-win yeah. for both, for Cuba and for China. Why is that? As you mentioned, Ross, the relationship that Cuba has with those countries, and now China gets involved in building key infrastructure in the economy of Cuba, other countries will see, you know, it might be worthwhile for us to consider. 
Something that is actually going on right now is India is investing in Cuba. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Luxury hotels. Wow. You're going, really? What, well, yeah, are, what yeah. are Indians seeing? Yeah, but also because Cuba is very, very nice touristic. I mean, I heard from the people who've been there. Uh, it was very, very nice island to, mm -hmm. to, to visit and so forth. So, so this is where I see it going because with the U.S. blockade on Cuba that's been forever, and, and the problem is it didn't work. The regime's still there. This is what I don't quite understand about the usefulness or lack thereof of sanctions. My understanding, and it comes from very good sources, mm -hmm. that the Cuban government never sleeps in the same place two nights in a row. They're so afraid of internal assassination or outside intervention, who will go unnamed, coming in and removing them physically from this planet. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to concur with you on that. So, uh, yeah, that's how that becomes the question. But that's, you know, the key for us to highlight is the idea of, you know, you get two separate systems, the U.S. and China. Here is China coming in for economic, for developments, for this, and there's the U.S for sanctions, for blockades, and you can just see, I, I do know, because I was in Washington DC at the time, 2014, uh, when uh, actually before, few months before 2014, when pra there were talks uh, behind closed doors at the time, as far as the, uh, the Obama's administration reestablishing relations with, with Cuba. And they did, and they opened up an embassy, both in Havana and in Washington wow. DC. Yes, they did, and a lot of people sort of kind of it's about time of course there were some washington hawks in congress that kind of oh no you can't do that the cuba stuff whatever and those some of them were originally from or ethnically from cuba yeah they end up being in members of congress and so forth so but the next administration after the obama kind of took it backwards yeah and this is the downfall or downside of how our system works because what you can build in one term, the next, next president can come in and all gone. that's gone. So, so, but also because the idea of these sanctions that have been imposed on the regime, it didn't impact the regime itself. Right. It hurt the Cuban people yeah. tragically yeah. to uh, the point of sometimes starvation. Yeah, and this is what I, I, I ask, the wisdom and the judgment of these policymakers in Washington that decides on those policies. Do they truly understand that sometimes sanctions might not work and yet you go ahead with it because you are impacting the average citizen who has nothing to do with politics? Sometime in the last few years I was interviewing someone from Cuba mm -hmm. who they said, the Cuban government said, any Cuban who wants to leave, go ahead and go. And the issue that the people were facing is no one would accept them. And so they had no place to go. Mm. This person happened to make it to the United States. I don't know how they did it. They didn't mm. tell me that. But uh, going, mm. hmm. And why would they not accept them? I mean, that he didn't. This man didn't have any idea why they weren't being accepted. Uh, mm. But the, all the he said, we, we haven't found a single country that will take in mass Cuban immigrants. Wow, wow! Because of that stigma of, you know the system or whatever the regime they were under. I'd, I'd have to yeah. make up reasons. Yeah. And the person didn't have reasons, and yeah. so I couldn't create them. I mean, I just didn't oh, know. Of course, yeah. And this is where I personally struggle with the idea of, you know, how come, you know, rather than 
coexisting in a peaceful environment for all of us humans, regardless of what your ethnicity. You know, I'm not being, I'm not naive here. Trust me, I do understand how the system works and all that. But truly, you look at the big picture and you start to ask questions. I'm finding myself asking these questions right now. Yeah. What am I doing here? Yeah. What am I doing on this earth? Right. How, how can I contribute to humanity in a sense of, you know, bringing this understanding to when you start seeing, you know, people suffering because of a political decisions, you know, it's no different than what we have here in the U.S. And I'll give you an example. I would like to share it with our viewers. And the example for us is think about it this way. You know, when prices of items go up in a supermarket, right, you know, an average Joe or average Jane might not understand the impact of the White House into that. Oh, okay? Right. But when that average Joe or that average Jane hears that the president is going to, for example, shut down a, an oil pipeline while they are paying high prices, who are they going to blame for that? <laughs> They're going to blame the White House for it. Because With now, good reason. Yeah, because now it makes more sense to them. Right. So in the sense that it's no different than you know, when politicians decide, okay, we're going to sanction this country and so forth. Okay, you want to do that, you go ahead and do that. But do you understand, you as a politician, do you understand how that's going to trickle down to their average citizen who has nothing to do with politics, who has nothing, you know, to contribute to political debates or whatever, and yet we are punishing that average citizen who has to work, God only knows how many hours to support his or her family. Right. And this is where I see this argument about Cuba. I mean, this is not about, you know, you know, Cuba has its own system, has its own regime. You know, who am I to judge anybody? You know, who gives me the right to judge anybody? You know, they get to own their own country. What a concept. They get to govern themselves yeah. without outside interference. Yeah, absolutely. Although that does, that's kind of a naive position yeah. because we see everyone influencing everybody else. Exactly, yeah. It's, it just it becomes the idea now when you hear about projects like this. And we did. We didn't want to shoot this video unless we check that information from Cuba. Yeah. You know, we have our ways of finding out information <laughs> well, to make sure. Because as we always tell our viewers, Ross, we want to make sure of the accuracy of the information and let them decide. So it's you. It's up to you to decide whatever conclusions you want to reach with that. So, but it becomes the question, the big question that many will be thinking in terms of, well, here you have two systems, the U.S. system, the Chinese system, and each one of them, you know, one of them is... May I say it? One of them is offering them something good. Exactly. And the other is offering them depression, <laughs> exactly. recession, exactly. starvation, yeah. blocking of moving forward as a culture, as a society, yeah. moving into the 21st century. And the other says, come on in. Well, well, the water is good. Yeah. And this is where I, this is truly where I question the judgments of politicians. You know, I might not question their authority on it, but I will question their judgment. One of the considerations that, that we look at, so you and I and our team, mm -hmm. including Elizabeth and, our, and so on, mm -hmm. we look at what's going on, how does, how does these policies impact individual people from all over the world? Yeah. It's like, Blatant disregard for thousands of people starving to death, I mean, or being maimed, killed in, in these endless conflicts. Yeah, exactly. Does no one care about that? Exactly, Russ. Well, apparently. Yeah. 
And, and by the way, uh, speaking of what you just mentioned, uh, you and Elizabeth, just for our viewers to know, you guys are going to be addressing the, 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 the linguistic part of the political speech. You know, why do people kind of get so drawn or sucked in into a statement or a speech or whatever without understanding the nuances of the... Elizabeth and I are thoroughly trained and schooled and practiced in the use of hypnosis. And we're going to break down speeches that public figures are making and show you the hypnotic patterning that they're doing to convince you that their position is right and you should follow. And once these things are exposed, it gives you a great deal of freedom to say, well, I agree or I disagree. I see what they're doing. Now, let me look at the real issue, not the presentation. Exactly. We're going to thoroughly school you on how to do that for yourself. Yeah, that would be of great value, Russ, yeah. because uh, I, I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about that one. So, because I I'm not trained for that, I don't know much, but I like to learn because I want to hone on my skills per se in knowing how to read between the lines. You know, I do have a little bit of an understanding. You know, as one who been through so many. You know, you're talking about. You know, wars or, or conflicts or academia, whatever. You know, you kind of acquire that kind of knowledge. And that led me to ask the question. That's why I said earlier, Russ, you know, I'm becoming to ask myself the question, what am I doing here? No. How can I serve humanity in a sense of, you know, you gain the knowledge over the years? I, I think that's why you and I came together, because we share that value. What are we doing here? Yeah. Does our life have purpose? Well, we think it does. Yeah. Because that's, that's one of the objectives, is to raise this awareness about the pressing issues, the, the most pressing issues in our uh, uh, modern time, in order to find a solution to all this. The, the objective is to find a peaceful way for countries to exist. You know, one of the questions that I've, as we were preparing for this over the last few days, I kept asking, what's the U.S. response to this going to be? Uh, it can't be positive. Oh, oh no, no. Given the history of how our history in Latin America, with the the, the support of you know brutal regimes and and you know military uh, dictators and the regime changes and all that stuff, you know that's usually is done for ideologic reasons and so forth. But at some point, you're gonna ask the question: Will it ever end? And it has to end. You know, live and let live. So. Now we're looking at this with China coming in for with economics. Of course, what we're gonna hear, you know, what we're gonna hear more about this debt trap. More oh, about yeah. this, you know, you know yeah. I'm, I'm other, sure other I'm things sure. that are just blatant lies. Yeah, <laughs> which basically what just happened in in Africa in Nigeria with Secretary of State uh, Tony Blinken was in Nigeria and telling the Nigerian uh, politicians that you know you're gonna have to be careful with the debt trap because China offered 3.2 billion dollars for infrastructure, the U.S. offered $2.1 billion, and yet the U.S. was telling Nigerians, and Nigerians said, uh, you know what they said, Russ? They answered Blanken with a cultural uh, uh, adage, and the cultural adage is like this. The vice president of Nigeria said to him, that's like a, a woman who's about to get married, you know, and somebody gave her, one gave her a dowry, that is far bigger, far higher, far better. You know? <laughs> what do you think the bride's going to decide? Oh. That's what they said. Which I personally understood it. You know, I know it's a figurative speech, but I saw the meaning of it. Oh, what, absolutely. What, what, what he was referring to. 
You remember one of our shows we talked about uh, a, an official from somewhere in South America mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the Belt and Road Initiative. He said, do you think we're stupid? Yeah. Do you think we don't know what's going on? That you think the, you're the only ones who know anything? Yeah. That was a former uh, Chile uh, ambassador. That's right, that's right. Yes, was a former Chile. Yeah, yeah. You know, countries know what they're Cubans know what they are getting involved with. Yes, it will be uh, sort of like, like in the case of Nigeria, that, that China is going to finance certain things. Well, you finance it doesn't mean I'm going to give it to you for free. Right. That just doesn't work like anything else in life. You know, they're going to have to, it's a return on investment. But for us to call it a debt trap, eh, that's kind of... Uh, We've, you know, we're not, we're not here worshipping China. No, 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 not at no, all. No, Because they've got more they got going some, on. Uh, they got some issues. But what we, one of the things we've seen with this Belt and Road Initiative is they've been very lenient on, in the terms. And when people, when the countries can't pay it back. Yeah. They've been more. They've been over backwards trying to make it work. As a matter of fact, Ross, just to share with this our viewers, I just found out that China forgave one country's debt. Really? Yes. And and if I am not mistaken, that country is Cameroon. But don't quote me on this yet because I want to make sure of that information. But I did find that it just forgave one country's debt altogether. That tells you Why? they didn't even want to try to own the, com the country. Exactly. Exactly. So. So just to, to get to the, back to the topic here and conclude this one here, is the idea of, you know, now you're looking at a BRI getting so close to the U.S., but also it demonstrating that, you know, economic incentives, economic ventures are far better. They will have a better outcome than tensions or creating tensions or whatever. That, that's usually where I see it going. And the idea of, also, how this will benefit the Cuban people, not the government, the Cuban people. So. You know, maybe I can do a conclusion here. That would be great, Ross. You know, the true essence of globalization and the, the Belt and Road Initiative is actually focusing on connectivity and infrastructure. Indeed. Very important to the well-being of the country and more like the well-being of the people. So, yeah. And so what we saw is the last, I guess we could say 60 years, Exactly. of blockades, that era looks like it's coming to an end, thanks to the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah, yeah because it, was, it, didn't, it, it didn't work. It didn't work, at the bottom line, that's what it is. So, so I hope you find this information very, very useful. We want to bring a different perspective, different parts of the world, and this is closer to home in the southern part of Florida. So, <laughs> so it will be interesting, and we're going to keep an eye on, on, on the progress of those projects to see where it is. And probably we'll, we'll address it in about a few months from now. Right. We'll address that again just to see where that progress is. Because there are two different things between just talking and doing. So, and we're going to find out exactly, is China just talking here? Or is China talking and doing? And that's, that's where we're going to be. Uh... Any final word, Ross, before we leave? Thank you for viewing. Please subscribe and check out our website. Indeed, uh, geopoliticsinconflict.com. And, and we're going to be posting some new stuff there. So, you know, as always, stay informed. Till next time. Bye-bye.